Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. This is Basketball History 101 with Rick Loiza. Welcome back to Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network. I am your host, Rick Loiza, and this is the podcast where we bring to life some of the forgotten stories from basketball history. And today, we are going to talk about the time that nobody wanted Bob Cousy on their team. And I know that sounds weird, but it's true. If you know anything about basketball history, and I know that most of you do, then you know that Bob Cousy is a Hall of Fame point guard for the Celtics from the 1950s and 1960s. How could teams not want him? He is one of the NBA's 50 greatest players. There are few players who were as underrated as Cousy was when he was coming out of college in 1950. Let me just name his major accomplishments to give you an idea of how good he was. He played 13 seasons for the Celtics and made the All-Star Game in all 13 of those seasons. He was league MVP in 1957. He led the league in assists 8 times, was named All-NBA 12 times, and he was the MVP of the All-Star Game twice. He was inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame in 1971. He was as good as it gets. So how did he go under the radar? You see, that's a weird story because he was one of the most exciting college players in the country. He played his college basketball at the College of the Holy Cross located just outside of Boston. He dominated during his four years there. He increased his scoring average every year he was there, finishing with 19 points per game in his final year. His prowess as a dribbler packed the gym as he was the main attraction. He was probably the most popular point guard on the East Coast. So it wasn't like he was an unknown player. Everybody in the NBA knew who Bob Cousy was. And the Celtics had the inside track on getting Cousy if they wanted. Back then in the NBA, there was something called the Territorial Draft. And the Territorial Draft worked like this. Any NBA team could automatically claim one college player to be on their team, provided that the player's school was located within 75 miles of the NBA team's arena. Now, the team didn't have to exercise their claim, but if they did, then they would have to give up their first-round pick because, essentially, exercising the claim was their first-round pick. At the time, the NBA figured that the best way to increase ticket sales was to make sure that college stars played for the NBA teams located in the same area as their school. Therefore, it means that any superstar coming out of a school in the Boston area would be on the Celtics and that any superstar coming out of the New York City area would end up on the Knicks. The thinking was that the fans of the player could be brought over to continue rooting for their player in the NBA. See, this was a time when college basketball was still far more popular than the NBA, so the rule made sense from a business perspective. Since Cousy went to college in the Boston area, the Celtics could have just claimed him using the territorial draft. 
But Red Auerbach, the coach and general manager of the Celtics, did not want Kuzi. Despite public pressure to claim Kuzi, Arbach had his sights on a player from Bowling Green University in Ohio. Here is what Arbach said at the time in regard to Kuzi, quote, The only thing that counts for me is ability, and Kuzi hasn't proven to me that he's got that ability. I'm not interested in bringing someone in just because he's a local yokel. That won't bring in more than a dozen people into the building on a regular basis. What will bring fans in is a winning team, and that's what I want to have, unquote. Those are pretty strong words from Arbach in regard to Kuzi. But I have to give Arbach credit because he was right about one thing. Throughout sports history, the best way to bring in fans and make a profit is to put a winning team out there. It doesn't matter who's on the team. That same year in 1950, the Philadelphia Warriors used their territorial pick to take Paul Arizin from Villanova University. Arizin would go on to have a Hall of Fame career, so that worked out pretty well for them. So all the territorial picks go first, and then they begin the regular first round of the draft for the teams that did not use a territorial pick. And the Celtics had the first pick in the draft, and Arbach took a player named Chuck Scher from Bowling Green University, the one that I had mentioned before. That was the player that Arbach really wanted, and he got him. But Cher would never play for the Celtics. He would play nine seasons in the NBA for the Pistons, Hawks, and the Lakers with a career average of eight points per game. Kuzi was drafted with the third pick in the first round by the Tri-Cities Blackhawks. Now, Tri-Cities is known as the Atlanta Hawks today, by the way. But the Blackhawks didn't really want Kuzi either, even though they drafted him. What they did was they immediately traded Kuzi to the Chicago Stags in exchange for a player named Flash Bryan, who had just completed a very successful rookie year. But Bryan only played six seasons in the NBA. He made the All-Star game twice and finished with a career average of 12 points per game. Now, do you see where I'm going with this story? Even the Blackhawks didn't really want Kuzi. They only drafted him so they could use him in a trade with the Stags for the player that they really wanted. So now, Kuzi is on the Chicago Stags, at least on paper. And the Stags are not that interested in Kuzi either, even though they just traded for him. You see, back then, NBA salaries were not what they are today. And I've mentioned this before in previous episodes, that salaries back in the 40s and 50s and even into the very early 1960s were not what they are today. So it was not a given that Kuzi would even play in the NBA. He earned his degree in business from Holy Cross and was seriously considering entering the corporate world for a very simple reason. He had an offer from a Boston company that would have paid him even more money than what anybody in the NBA was offering. Can you imagine that today? Imagine that LaMelo Ball, who was this last season's third pick by the Charlotte Hornets, imagine that he decided to take a job as an accountant because it paid him more than what the Hornets were offering. But that's exactly the position Kuzi was in, and every NBA team knew it. He became nothing more than trade bait. You see, he was a risk. It was no guarantee that he would even come to the NBA, so who wants to waste their time or waste a pick on a player who may not even play for you? But the Stags weren't quite sure what to actually do with Kuzi. They didn't really want him, so they were kind of in a quandary. Should they try to sign him or trade him to someone else? 
But the Stags also had a bigger problem than what to do with Koozie. They were teetering financially and were trying to figure out ways to stay in business. Very quickly, all of the business with Koozie became moot when the Stags had to fold and go out of business. At this point, the NBA had to step in. A few other teams had also gone out of business at the same time and something had to be done with all of these player contracts. The NBA had a dispersal draft where all of these players from the defunct teams would be reassigned to existing teams. Now the teams that were still in business went after the very best players from these other teams that had to close their doors. And that is a good place to take a break and I'll share more of the story right after this. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Welcome back to the show, and let's continue with the story of how nobody wanted Bob Cousy. We left off with the Chicago Stags going out of business and the NBA needing to reassign Cousy to another team in the NBA that had not gone out of business. So, to make a long story short, Jones, who was still in the air? And that was Sam Jones' sixth foul of the game. And that is how his illustrious career ended. He made the slow walk back to the bench and covered his head in a towel. To their credit, the Lakers fans gave Sam Jones an ovation for a great career. But Jones knew that he was helpless. There was nothing he could do anymore. He just had to watch the last seven minutes of the game and hope that his Celtics could hang on. But with Jones out, the Lakers were able to cut the lead to just one point with three minutes to go. The Celtics settled things down and they won the championship by a score of 108 to 106. Sam Jones had earned his 10th championship of his career. It was an incredible accomplishment. He and Bill Russell walked off the court as the only two players in league history with double digit championships. But what was next for Sam Jones? Once he had retired, he became the head coach of Federal City College from 1969 to 1973. Today, that school is called the University of the District of Columbia. He coached his alma mater, North Carolina Central, for one season before spending one season as an assistant coach for the New Orleans Jazz of the NBA. Sadly, Sam Jones passed away about a week and a half ago on New Year's Eve at the age of 88. And he is a player that should not be forgotten. Thankfully, the NBA has not forgotten about him either. Back in 1996, he was selected as one of the 50 greatest players in NBA history and then made the NBA 75 list earlier this season. He is a true credit to this game, and he should be in the conversation of the best shooting guards of all time. Well, that does it for today. That is the story of Sam Jones. Join us next week when we share the story of the Hall of Famers who were cut from the 1984 Olympic team. One of them was Charles Barkley. That's next time on Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com to find out more about this and other sports history podcasts. If you like what you hear, please hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. And go ahead and give us a rating and a review, and that'll help others to find this podcast more easily. And check out our page on Facebook. It's called Basketball History 101 Podcast. There you will find shorter historical posts as well as comments and discussion starters on today's game. I'll also announce there when new episodes come out. I'd like to thank my producer and editor, Jacob Loiza. Join us each week as we continue to mine the history of basketball for more great stories from the past. Take care and see you soon. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode 
here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. This is Mark Mortier, and if you're a sports history fan like me, tune in and hear me talk about some great sports moments of the past. Growing up during the 1970s, I got to watch some of the most iconic moments in sports history. Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. Willis Reed limping out of the locker room in Game 7 of the NBA Finals at Madison Square Garden as the fans erupted with a thunderous ovation. The 1980 Miracle on Ice as Team USA defeated the powerful Soviet Union in the Olympics. Listen every Tuesday on Yesterday's Sports. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.